0: This is Mortification of Spin from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We can only continue with your help. Visit mortificationofspin.org to make a donation or call 1-800-488-1888. What's the purpose of a robust theology if it cannot practically help the believer? Carl, Todd, and Amy talk with pastor and cancer survivor Paul Wolf about his battle with cancer. Be listening after the podcast, and I'll give you details on how to win a free book.
1: Welcome to The Mortification of Spin, the regular podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. I'm Todd Pruitt, the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in beautiful Harrisonburg, Virginia. I'm joined, as always, by Carl Truman, professor of church history at Westminster Seminary and pastor of cornerstone presbyterian church in ambler pennsylvania and of course amy bird author of housewife theologian is with us as well well our our goal uh, typically is to have conversation about things that count um, so far we have conversation uh, that are fairly interesting every once in a while Um, Carl and Amy, I I think uh, it could be better if if we introduced more disagreements between us, uh, perhaps um, a few audible slaps um, on the program, that kind of thing. But uh, uh, we want to, as often as we can, uh, give uh, resources and point people to books and other persons who are particularly helpful um, uh, for the church in various areas and i think today is going to be one of those programs that uh, is right up that alley uh, in a in a good encouraging sobering uh, discussion about things that count with our guest today carl truman you're not our guest you're one of our hosts <laughs> i am indeed yeah but who's uh, who's joining us today Well, we're very privileged today to have
2: uh, Paul Wolfe, who is the associate pastor of New Hope Presbyterian Church. That's one of your locked on, PCA, PCA, uh, in Fairfax, Virginia. Same great state as as your church. I'm delighted, by the way, that you're still at that church. Oh, yeah. Again, it's it's showing a real long pastorate (laughs) for you uh, this time. Uh, You've not alienated enough people to have you removed as yet. But I'm working on it. It does
3: look like they're abusing him. I I have a gash on my
2: head that's quite ugly. A meat cleaver planted in the middle of his head. Recently, um, Karen, if you're out there, I sympathise.
1: I've done the same. Myself. I'm just amazed it happened while I was in Virginia and not in Pennsylvania. But that's yeah. another story.
3: I think he did it taking a shelfie, right? Is that I, what happened? I, I did.
1: I did. Well, that's exactly what it was. Taking pictures get, of my books. Not to get too distracted, but
2: Todd did give me a pipe recently, and <laughs> my wife Katrina has promised to plant a meat cleaver when she gets a It's a wonderful habit. Give on him it a friend. Uh, it is a beautiful pipe, a Savinelli oh, well, Italian. It's a Savinelli. Absolutely. Anyway, to Bring us back on <laughs> Let me reintroduce our guest. Yes. Our uh, guest this morning is Paul Wolf, the Associate Pastor of New Hope Presbyterian a PCA Church in Fairfax, Virginia. Paul uh, is a graduate of Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, he and I first met way back, I think in the year 2000 or 1999, when Paul was graduating from Westminster. And I had come over, I staying at the house of Daryl Hart in order to be interviewed by the Westminster board for the position which I now hold. And we met, I think, at a graduation party or barbecue at the Hart's that evening. And one of the things that was Most distinctive about Paul at that time was that he was a very young man, he'd only got married fairly recently, but he was suffering from cancer and uh, facing the reality of his own mortality at a, a very early stage in his life. Uh, It's wonderful, therefore, to be speaking with him over a decade on. Paul uh, underwent successful uh, cancer treatment. Uh, Not only that, but he's also written a book, Uh, My God is True, Lessons Learned Along Cancer's Dark Road, available from Banner of Truth. And we'll be giving some of these away free uh, at the end of the uh, program. This book is Paul's testimony to God's faithfulness during a time of, of serious illness. So welcome to the program, Paul. Uh wonder if you have anything uh, to begin with you'd like to add to what I've said before we start ask you about how your experience uh, challenged you and how it has shaped you both as a Christian and as uh, as a pastor.
4: Sure. Well, let me say, first of all, I appreciate the invitation to be with you today. I, I did a little research. I Looked up your podcast on iTunes, and there the description referred to germane cultural references and British accents. So, it should be British I'm,
2: accents singular, I, I think. I'm not sure What's how much I'm going to have to offer here. You, you definitely don't
4: want to hear my British accent, and I do have a Groucho Marx reference in My God is True, but I'm not sure that Groucho counts you. as germane these days.
3: I was a member of the Friars Club, and the first time I went there, I was surrounded by barbers and dentists, and, uh, well, a whole group of people that I have very little in common with unless I need my teeth pulled out. So after the third week, I send him a telegram and says, please accept my resignation. I don't want to
4: belong to any club
3: that will accept me as a member.
2: I'm actually Australian as well. It's English. <laughs> Sorry, Paul.
4: I do appreciate the invitation to be with you. And, yeah, it was um, two thousand. The year 2000 when I graduated from Westminster, so I was sort of on my way out, I think, just as you were coming in to begin teaching there. So graduated in 2000, and that would have been just a few months after what was sort of the end of our, our cancer journey. I was diagnosed in April of 99, so near the end of my third year at Westminster, treated Throughout the spring and summer, and then got back to school for my last year in the fall of 99 and managed to graduate in 2000. So, all told, between diagnosis and last medical appointment, it was about a year, just under a year. And so there was a sense in which it ended, but there's also a profound sense in which something like that doesn't end. Mm because it it sticks with you, it it shapes you, it changes you, in some ways that you don't even see at the time. And And I think that became clear to me when I came around to wanting to write a book about it, which was years later. I'd had it in the back of my mind after going through cancer that I might want to try to write something about it, but it just stayed there in the back of my mind and didn't really follow through on it. But when I got around to wanting to write something about it, it was remarkable how, in a sense, how easy it was to write because what we'd been through and the the truths that had been impressed upon us going through it, I think perhaps without even realizing it, those truths had become so deeply ingrained in Christie and me and had become... Such a part of my ministry as a pastor to the congregation that when it came time to write, it was all there, just almost waiting to be written. And at that point, it was just a matter of bringing together the memories of the experience with the truths that we'd learned that we'd learned going through it. So the experience itself may be less than a year, but. In a lot of ways, it makes it makes a lifetime worth of impressions.
1: Mm-hmm. On you. Paul, I wonder if you could sum up, and this may be unfair after having written a book, but in a way, the best way you might know how at this point, what do you want to tell people um, in this book, uh, your, your, first, your first book, My God is True? What do you want to say to those who are in the midst of a, of a cancer battle or those who are uh, who, who love and have a close relationship with someone who's going through cancer right. what do you want to say to right.
4: them right well i'm going to come across here as a calvinist i <laughs> hope but Good. you've got to come to grips with the sovereignty of god mm-hmm. and and you can't wait to come to grips with that don't wait to be diagnosed in a way it's a word for everybody right whether you're suffering profoundly or not mhm don't wait to get the truth of God's sovereignty into your heart and mind, into your bloodstream. Because when you're diagnosed, that's not the best time to start thinking about those things. And so you want to, to get that truth into your own heart and mind, and not the bare claim God reigns, but keep going. He reigns in wisdom and love, and he reigns over me and for me, and everything he's bringing to pass, he's doing some good in and for me. And even if it's death, death will mean life. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a word for everybody. Don't wait. Soak those truths in. Absorb them.
3: That's such a good point, Paul, because I think— So often people think of theology and doctrine as cold um, and impersonal and unloving, and you're saying these words with such um, conviction and such passion. Mm. So um, talk to us about how important good theology is to going through something as tragic as cancer.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, I remember vividly the day I was diagnosed. I mean, I'd had back pain for months. First, we thought I just pulled a muscle. The pain wouldn't go away. Then the theory became, well, maybe you've got a herniated disc. You really should get it checked out. Then my legs started going numb. Mm. Finally went in for an MRI. And, and at that point, I'm in a wheelchair. The MRI's over. They wheel me into the little room where they put the films up on the screen so you can see. And with my untrained eye, I'm looking <laughs> for the disc that's out of whack. <laughs> yeah. And they all look like they're... In line, And that's when he takes his pen and he circles the mass that's not supposed to be there. And he starts talking about what it almost certainly is. And that's when Christie says, I need to sit down. Mm -hmm. And theology paid off Mm. in that moment.
3: Yeah, that's a good way of putting
4: it. And I mean, one of the things I, I talk about in the book is what a blessing the preaching ministry of our church turned out to be. That... It was about six years between when I first started going to the church I'm serving now. I started out as a member there out of college. It was about six years between when I first got there and April twenty third, 1999, when I was diagnosed. And for those six years, week in and week out, the pastor of that congregation, Dave Coffin, and he still serves as the senior pastor, I'm the associate there now, week in and week out, he was preaching the Word steadily, steadily, faithfully preaching the word. He was serving up a steady diet of good Christian theology, Mm -hmm. including how to think about trials, the sovereignty of God, all of those Mm -hmm. things I was just talking about. And what neither of us realized was that for those six years, he was getting me ready for cancer Mm -hmm. by just steadily setting before the congregation a diet of Christian truth. And it turned out to be deeply, even dramatically, practical in my life in ways that neither of us could possibly have anticipated. So I think that's an important lesson I've taken from the whole experience, is getting good theology, getting Bible truth into your heart and mind. Take advantage of all the ways in which the Word is set before you, week in and week out, day after day, even if there aren't fireworks Mm -hmm. Even if it's not a spectacular spiritual experience, yes, just press on, imbibe that truth, because you have no idea how you're going to need it down the road. And I think about that today as a preacher. I get up in the pulpit and I look out, I see the congregation, I see the kids, I see my own kids, and who knows, literally God only knows, what's in store for them Mm -hmm. and what someday they're going to need to be ready for. And here I am up in the pulpit, and my calling, among other things, is to get them ready, not by trying to wow them, Mm -hmm. but by just trying to set the truth before them faithfully over and over again and praying for them so that that truth gets into them.
2: Interesting, Paul. Obviously, you are very well supported by your church. Both at the time and clearly previous to the time of, of trial, uh, this kind of, this question may may appear to be an invitation for you to criticise the church, and I don't want it to be read that way. But are there things that you would do differently now, as you look back on on how the church mm. supported you? Are there things that, having come through it, you would think, well, that was good, but actually it would have been better if they'd done this or if they'd come mm. in, uh, from this direction? How has the experience of cancer? changed your attitude to pastoral care in the broadest sense, given your experience of pastoral care at the time. Yes. Honestly, looking back,
4: I can't think of one thing that stands out, one blunder, Mm. as I think about how our church, New Hope Presbyterian Church, related to Christy and me. It was was remarkable how they... They rallied around us, and that too, I think, was the fruit of the preached word. Mm.
3: Mm.
4: Now that I think about it, they were getting ready for my cancer, (laughs) yeah,
3: in ways that we hadn't
4: anticipated. Yeah, and um, so yeah, it was it was extraordinary how they rallied around us and and served us in 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 practical ways. Now I did learn some lessons about how we shouldn't try to comfort people who are suffering but i can honestly say those lessons didn't grow out of things that were done to me or said to me by people at new hope it was by the broader christian community and and one of the one of the lessons i learned was how how not to comfort people don't offer them false assurances because i had that happen to me mm-hmm. not by folks at at new hope but the day i was diagnosed there was a, um, a member of the, the staff there at the medical facility who, after it was clear that I had cancer, came up to me and said, I've got a word from the Lord that you're going to be healed.
1: Mm. Mm.
4: Yikes. Now, I was healed, mm. but she didn't have a word from the Lord. No. And she didn't just say it to me. She said it to my mother. My parents were there oh, that that's... day. Mm. And my wife overhears this. Mm. That's how not to comfort there's where your theology pays off yeah. Yeah. the sufficiency of scripture, right, right? yeah and and
3: exactly the thing is be it's enough for you yeah as you're suffering, yeah
4: years. you know it's well intentioned we've all been there, somebody we love is suffering, and we want to have something to say right we we want to have something to it's offer, tempting. and we can feel like, I have nothing to say, I've got nothing to give here, so you just go grasping and reaching and the temptation is to offer up assurances, promises that God just hasn't made right. about healing and about how the sun will come out tomorrow and all the rest. Yeah. And that was a lesson I took from it, that we we dare not allow ourselves to be stra- distracted by false promises. And that's what they are, they're distractions, because they keep us from... Grasping on to the real promises that God has given, which are infinitely better mm. than the false promises we
1: might come yeah. up with. You know, one uh, thought struck me, Paul, first of all, was just gratitude that you were able to say about your church yeah. they cared for us really well. And I'm just, I'm reminded again to be thankful that for all of our blemishes, uh, the church is still the body of Christ. And there's a lot of churches out there that, by God's grace, do some things well. Um, what were the best things that your church did for your family during this time? What were, what were the few of the, the most helpful?
4: They didn't just say, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. There was some of that, and that's understandable. Sure. I say that sometimes too. But there was also, we're going to come over and clean up your apartment. When can we come over and do that? Yeah. Yeah. They didn't just wait. Right. They said, okay, look, here's a need we're going to come over and do it. We're not going to let you say no. That's not an option. You have to tell us when it's convenient for us to come over and do that. I mean, it was that kind of thing. Um, talking to me about tennis. <laughs> yeah. Because when you have cancer, you don't always want to talk about cancer. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about tennis and and the World Cup and maybe even about politics, although mm-hmm. that isn't of particular interest <laughs> to me. But... Um, so that was part of it as well still relating to me as Paul Wolf and not just Paul Wolf comma the cancer patient. Yeah. Yeah. That was part of it. And there was the ongoing ministry of the word. You know I I've already mentioned that that was a great blessing getting us ready for cancer. Well it was also a great blessing going through it. And not just sermons about cancer and trials but the study Life of the church, week in and week out, new hope, carrying on, doing the things we'd always done. Because again, you, you want a measure of normalcy if you can get it. And just being able to show up on Sunday and and sing favorite hymns and talk to people about how they're doing. Don't underestimate the power of the ordinary ministry of the church week in and week out. When you're going through something spectacular, you don't necessarily need spectacular things to get you through it.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I I love to hear, again, just these reminders of the power of God's ordinary means that he's given to the church uh, for this. It's very encouraging. Did
2: you find the Lord's Supper a particular comfort and help to you at the time as well, Paul?
1: I did, and we
4: serve the Lord's Supper every Sunday at New Hope. And it was wonderful to be able to come with that expectation every Sunday that I'm going to be nourished here, and every Sunday to have portrayed before you and to eat and drink the the truth of the gospel and the truth in particular of suffering on the way to glory. Mm -hmm. Because what does the Lord's Supper tell us? Every time it shows us that he suffered, But it also reminds us that it was suffering unto glory because now it's the risen, glorified Christ who has spread the feast. Mm -hmm. So I show up every Sunday with cancer, knowing that Christ lives and he's the one who has spread the feast and he's the one who's calling me saying, Paul, come eat and drink and feed.
3: Paul, I can't help but think about how writing this first book and experiencing cancer Um, led to your second book writing um, Setting Our Sights on Heaven and so could you share with us briefly just about um, how going through cancer and writing about that uh, maybe gave you more of a heightened eternal perspective even in the mundane life without cancer
4: yes Um, it's something I mentioned in the first book My God is True that going through cancer does impress upon you the truth of of your mortality and raises issues of heaven and hell in a new way. Thankfully for me, mine was the hope of heaven. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: And then you're healed. At first you think, oh, this is great. I've got cancer. I'm going to be so holy now. I'm going to think about heaven all the time. (laughs) And then you're healed, and then time passes, and reality sets in, and the impression fades. And that's something I wrestled with. You know, I think about Paul's words in Colossians 3. He says, set your minds on things that are above. But the fact is, we don't. Mm -hmm. That is a struggle for all of us. And that weighed on me, I think, especially coming out of cancer. Why is this so hard? Why am I not heavenly minded in the way that I ought to be, especially given what I've been through? And the more I wrestled with that and wondered about that, the more it struck me, there are a lot of answers to that question. There are a lot of factors that keep us from being heavenly-minded in the way that we ought to be. And that's how the second book came to be, because I got to thinking about them, those factors, brainstorming about them. And the more I thought about it, I thought, wow, all of these factors that keep us from being heavenly-minded, they really run the gamut of Christian faith and experience. And that's when I got to thinking Maybe there's something here worth writing about. So, it is a book about heaven and heavenly-mindedness, but not primarily. It, it's primarily a book about why it's hard okay. to be heavenly-mindedness. What are the barriers? What are the obstacles? And what are we going to do about it? Because we we don't we shouldn't settle for a thin, impoverished Christian life that has so little heaven in it. We're missing out on so much. And so we ought to rise up and, and figure out what the obstacles are and, and do something about them because it's worth it.
1: That's and encouraging. I, and, I, and I think there's an irony to, uh, to oftentimes uh, growing up hearing uh, the, uh, the cliches about, you know, we shouldn't spend all of our time thinking about heaven. Well, the, the problem is, is that growing up in a conservative evangelical home, uh, church, we actually didn't talk about heaven that much, right. the, the, the problem isn't that we're so heavenly minded we 're no earthly good. The problem is we tend not to be very heavenly minded, exactly. and therefore aren't much earthly good.
4: I think that's, I think that's exactly right.
2: Well, it's been uh, great to have you with us, Paul. Uh, I think you've given our listeners uh, uh, a lot to think about. Uh, Most, if not every person listening to this podcast will either have lost somebody to cancer or Mm -hmm. will know somebody who's struggling with cancer or one day will struggle with it themselves or know somebody who is struggling with it. So it's been a very uh, moving and also very, very practical uh, 25 minutes uh, that you've spent with us. So all that remains is for me to thank you for taking time out of your busy uh, schedule or schedule, as Todd (laughs) would say, uh, to be with us. Uh, Today, And again, to commend to our listeners, Paul's two books, uh, My God is True, Lessons Learned Along Cancer's Dark Road, and Setting Our Sights on Heaven, Why It's Hard and Why It's Worth It. Uh, The Puppet Master tells me that we have a certain number of uh, copies of My God is True to give away for those who care to contact uh, the website, mortificationofspin.org. So all that remains then is for me to say thank you for joining us on Mortification of Spin. Please visit the website and join us again for another casual conversation about things that count.
0: This has been Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Remember to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to win a free copy of My God is True by Paul Wolf. Mortification of Spin is a production of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Alliance ministries include reformation21.org, Every Last Word with Philip Ryken, and events held from Florida to Sacramento. To learn more about the Alliance, visit alliancenet.org or call 800-488-1888. We can only continue to bring you Mortification of Spin with your support. To make a donation, please visit mortificationofspin.org or call 800-488-1888. Please listen again, and don't forget your free download.